What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and uh, are ready to get after it this fine Monday. I know that last week for me, kind of on all fronts, felt a, a little chaotic. Just a, a lot of work, a lot of life, a lot of things going on. Uh, but you know what? We are back to reality, back down to square one, ready to get back after it. And you know, this past weekend was actually a lot of fun. I did uh, a couple new things. Uh, I went to actually... Yeah, a couple. I actually went line dancing for the first time on Friday night, which I tell you what is way harder than it looks, and uh, it is a whole hell of a lot of fun. I think that's something that I'm going to have to go spend some time on uh, YouTube University uh, learning how to do before I show uh, my face out in public again doing that one. Uh, but I also did actually go to a Cowboy Quick Draw match this past weekend, which it wasn't a Quick Draw. It was a Cowboy Action uh, kind of three-gun shoot with the rifle, shotgun, and pistol. So it was, uh, it was a hoot. I emailed the guys, and I was like, you know what? I kind of want to just go see what it's about. Uh, wouldn't mind getting into it. Um, um, but I've never done it. I kind of just need something to do this weekend to get back into shooting because I phoned a friend, had a, a bit of a mental block this week, and uh, phoned a friend, kind of figuring things, some stuff back out, getting back down to uh, what makes me happy, and uh, finding those friends out in Utah. So um, I went out and uh, shot this through, or uh, shot. I ended up participating. How do I say this? I went to go watch and uh, ended up participating. And these guys are awesome. Shot a couple really cool uh, 357 uh, or 38 special uh, lever actions, a couple cool revolvers, some sweet shotguns. And I need some money, honestly, because I would like to get into that and have a good time. But holy hell, to get some nice Henry, uh, Henry rifles is something else. But that's kind of beside the point. I'm just uh, letting you all know that, you know what? Sometimes when you feel like shit's kicked, or your shit's getting kicked in, it's worth kind of level setting, calling somebody that you need to uh, chat with, getting back on your horse, and uh, go doing the things that you love. So getting into uh, today's episode, I'm really excited because I finally was able to pin Justin down. Uh, it was a bit of back and forth just between scheduling and trying to find the right time. I think we had chit-chat several times over the course of the summer and finally we're able to lock a time down for us both that uh, or that worked for us both and i'm really excited because he shares some great information and i'm really excited to get it out to y'all um and uh, feel very fortunate to have sat down with a guy like justin to share his story so before we get into that though um i am fortunate and blessed to have several show sponsors one of which is uh, midwest gunworks um i recently got a a handful of parts from them uh delivered in lickety split timing which was really cool and you know i am still kind of teetering on whether i want to get a red dot for this or get a uh, a scope of some sort which again i can't decide if i want to do just like a vortex diamondback tactical and go kill a bunch of coyotes with it or if i want to get a uh, a strike eagle and use it for some more tactical and or three gun shoots i have no idea so still trying to figure that out but they have a phenomenal array of parts. Like, I, I I struggled trying to decide what I wanted to build and kind of just went with what I knew for the most part. Um, but you know what? They've got a ton of product. And if you use code Vanguard, you'll actually save 5% on it. 5% off your total purchase, which if you're building a new gun or, or trying to modify anything, 5% goes a long ways, right? I mean, building a new rifle or getting some 1911 parts or some Glock parts, I mean, 
Some of them are cheap, but after a while, everything adds up. So if you're making a big purchase, use code Vanguard, save 5%. You won't regret it. And the shipping time, like I said, is spectacular as well. So I'm going to go ahead and digress. Uh, but again, code Vanguard, I'm not going to digress yet. Code Vanguard, Midwest Gunworks. I'm going to link their uh, website in the episode description. Save you 5%. But I'm going to stop talking for reals this time. Let's roll an awesome episode with Mr. Justin of Milmac Blades. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine, and I'm excited because on the phone with me this morning is Mr. Justin Walker, and we have played a little bit of phone tag over the past couple of months because I know that we have both been insanely busy between work, moving, kind of the whole kit and caboodle, but I'm excited because I followed you for quite a while, and I'm a big fan of your blades. I've never actually played with one, but I've been on your website a handful of times, and I've seen them kind of pop up in and out and go uh, go out of stock real quick, which means people love them too, so that's awesome. But dude, I'm excited. Um, kind of my goal, like we were talking about, is really just to get your story and kind of understand how Milmac Blades started and uh, kind of some of the other things that you're working on, life lessons learned, but I don't really want to take your intro away. So I'm going to sip my coffee. And if you don't mind, maybe uh, sharing a little bit about yourself. I've got a pen and pad here. I'm going to take some notes and uh, I will ask questions as we go. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, Austin. Um, yes. Like you said, dude, my name is Justin Walker. Um, most important about me is um, I'm a husband and a, a father to two awesome kiddos. Um, retired police officer out of Phoenix and um, owner of Milmac Blades. Uh, my kids' names, I, I get asked a lot, like, where did Milmac come from? My kids' names are Miller and McKenna. So it's just the first three letters of each of their names. And that's kind of where that came from. But yeah, man, um, just turned 40, um, retired from the PD uh, just this year. So a lot of life changing stuff going on. And really just, um, yeah, excited to talk, man. I feel like um, I I like what you're doing uh, with these things, um, with the podcast and everything else. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, I'm stoked, man. Thank congratulations, forty and retiring. That's probably feels good. <laughs> it's probably a big life change, right? It is, man. It's a huge change, and um, it's for the good, man. It, it ended a a little a little sooner than I expected for some some medical stuff, um, but. Um, um, I'm blessed, dude. Yeah. Like I'm in, I'm in a great spot. So that's good. More free time, right? Absolutely. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More time to do what you want. Maybe that's not fair. That's fair. You yeah. You always find time or you always find ways to fill alleged free time. So well, shoot, man. So part of kind of what we were talking about kind of before we started recording is kind of the, the story of things. It's kind of what the podcast is more fit into is kind of the storyline and how your life has progressed. Maybe to start, I mean, what has your whole career been in law enforcement? Did you start out in something else? Did you have a desire somewhere else other than law enforcement kind of growing up? Um, I did, man. So I never, um, I thought I was going to play pro football, right? Like every, every kid, um, um, thinks they're going to be a professional athlete or, or whatever they thought they were going to be, um, played some football in high school, played some football in college, ended up getting hurt. And that was kind of the end of that, um, so when that happened, um, man, I didn't, I really didn't know what I was going to do. Um, 
end up looking at the military, actually started going through that whole process. Um, the injury from football um, required me to get a bunch of waivers and stuff at that time. And while I was going through that process, we had a family friend that had worked for Phoenix PD and said, hey, man, like, are you interested in um, just come do a ride along, come check it out. So I went, checked it out, um, rode along with their SWAT team a couple times. And I was like, this is this is a pretty cool gig, dude. Like I could do this for a little bit. Um, until I figure out what I want to really do when I grow up. Right. Um, so end up applying. Um, I end up getting hired by the PD prior to all like my medical stuff going through, um, my waivers and stuff on the military side. So I chose that route. Um, and that's kind of how, how my career in law enforcement started, man. It, I, I wasn't the guy that grew up always wanting to be a cop. Um, like there was part of me that always was interested in that. Like I loved old Western movies, man, watching, um, watching the sheriffs and the, the, the Rangers do their thing. And, uh, I love that kind of thing. Um, but I never really like thought about being a, a city cop, right? Like that was not on, on the radar until kind of everything kind of happened and, and led me down that path. So yeah, man, I ended up going to the Academy graduating Academy and, and went out on patrol as a, a young 20 year old um, with a cop car and a pistol and, uh, down in the Southwest part of Phoenix. That's funny. Okay. So a couple of things kind of, so I'm taking some notes and I like the path that you took, right? Because I feel like to a certain extent, some folks might be able to relate and, or maybe have questions coming out of it. Right. So when you were in high school playing football, going into college and you got hurt, this is, this is something that always interests me because that seems like it could be, if you knew that you wanted to go pro football route, right. That could be a life changing or life altering event right now to you, I think, or in your case, I think that that definitely qualifies as one. Right. But how did you kind of say, okay, I'm hurt. Pro football is no longer a course of action for me. How did you not get stuck and kind of, wallow i guess you could say yeah man so i would say i did for a little bit right like um who knows if i would have been good enough like i um i worked hard man like i, I was good enough to play a little bit in college and, and whatnot but i don't know where i was where where i would have ended up like i like to think if i didn't get hurt then that's where what would have had it would have ended up but also um just to be completely honest man i don't know if my head was completely in that um on that route I don't know if I was completely dedicated to, to that kind of goal onset. So I think when that happened, um, there was definitely some frustration because everything uh, for so long had been geared towards that, right? Like mm -hmm. working out like nutrition, like everything I did was, was really geared around football for a really long time at, at, at that young age. Um, from what, like my, my from time I was whatever 13, 14 till, um, early twenties, so when that kind of, when you get thrown a loop, it was kind of like, shoot, man, like, wh what do I do now? Um, so I ended up just coming back here, going to school. Um, my wife currently was my girlfriend at the time. Like we were high school sweethearts. So I think having that in place was a huge, huge help for me. Um, but dude, I did wallow, man. Like I, I had my, my um, pity parties and like, oh my gosh, what, what's life doing to me? Why is God doing this? What's happening? Like, he knows how bad I want this. What's going on? Um, and you do. And I think you just, for me, I just got to a point where like, Hey, I can stay in this. And this has kind of been a constant theme of something I've always dealt with, man. Cause I had some hardships growing up when I was a little kid too. Like I can stay in that place and I can be there and I can be sad 
Um, and I can choose to always see the negative or I can trust that things are going to work out. I can trust that I'm on the path I'm, I'm supposed to be on. And that echoes a lot more now uh, at my age than it did when I was in my twenties for sure. Okay. So I'm taking a quick note. So, yeah. and that's interesting, right? So is that, and I'm trying to process kind of on the fly as we talk about this, right. But being able to sit or being able to understand that you can stay in that place and stay in the negative is one thing, but then also being able to actively decide to understand and believe that things will work out is entirely different. Can I ask, how did you develop the ability to move out of sitting in the negative? Um, so for me, I think it, it was just, it was a learning process. I think when I, when I was in the negative, um, like everything sucked, like everything was shitty. Like I'd be, I'd be with my buddies hanging out, like should be having a great time. And I'm just like pissed and angry and, and nothing was fun. Right. Like I'd be with, um, Amanda, my, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time. And it was just like, dude, like I'm wasting everything here. Like, because of one thing that has happened, um, I'm, I'm choosing to make everything bad now because I, I think that was one of the things, like I started to realize it was a choice. Like, Hey, you can sit here and you can be, you can be pissy. You can, you can be mad. You can be upset. You can feel like nothing works out for you. Um, but then you're just going to keep having the same outcome, right? Cause you're not choosing anything different or I can choose to understand, um, or, or not even maybe understand, maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe I can just choose to say, Hey, like this is happening. Um, I'm going through this spot in my life, but I can't let that control every moment. Like I'm on a date with my, with my girlfriend, my future wife, like have fun, enjoy what I'm doing right now and be here, be present. Stop worrying about that stuff that you can't control. Hmm. Okay. So then in the moment where, um, you get injured through college start to decide or think about maybe going to towards the military route. I mean, were you kind of actively making those decisions to based off of finding that next level of, I'm going to say happiness, or was that just a, a next level of physical pursuit for you? I would say it was both. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I, I had, um, uh, one of my roommates in college, uh, um, after I got hurt was in the, was in the military and, um, it was just something that interests me. And, um, I had a couple other buddies from high school that had done it. And, um, it was just, it was something I, I felt like I could do. It was something that I knew I wanted to serve somehow. Um, I just didn't know what that looked like. And really that was kind of the only, um, or, or not the only, but the thing I had been most exposed to sure. was that like my dad was in the military, my grandfather, um, so I knew, I knew that route, but I had really not thought a ton about it, honestly, to up, up until that point. So I figured, shoot, man, like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit on a lost path right now. Like maybe this can, this interests me, I can go this route and it can, it can redirect the ship a little bit and, and at least, um, buy me some time and, and I can figure out, um, where I'm doing also while like serving my country, doing some things and, that, that was kind of where my head was with that decision. It was just something to kind of like, Hey, do let's correct the ship a little bit. Mm -hmm. So did you have like a, an end goal in mind then to kind of help course correct that ship and that lost path? 
or were you just trying to find something to fill the the void more or less? Dude, I think at that time, I don't think I did have an end goal, man. I think I was just trying to fill up space, honestly. Um, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I'm graduating college soon, but I got to do something. So what's that going to be? Like, I know I don't want to sit at a desk. I know I don't want to, uh, like, be a lawyer, be a doctor. Like, I don't, I don't want to do those things, man. I want to be out. I want to be doing stuff. So what are my options? Okay, um, here's some options I know about. That sounds pretty cool. Um, let's go down that road and, and see what happens. Yeah. So what did you end up studying? That was kind of like a left field question. Yeah, no, no worries, man. Um, so my, my degree is in, in political science. Right. I had transferred colleges a couple of times and um, political science with an emphasis, a certificate of study in like um, international relations and terrorism studies. Interesting. That's what I get my degree in. Yeah. So why why poli science terrorism studies? Um, dude, it just it was something that interests me. I think at the time I had, had some um, professors um, that I really liked. I liked law initially, um, okay. like that kind of interests me. And then I got into um, some like I took some like elective law classes. Um, and I was like, nope, dude, this is way too much writing and way too much work, dude. Like, I do not want to do this. Um, and I think just the, just the timing of everything, man, like I, um, I graduated high school in 2000. So we're talking right now, we're talking at this time, we're talking like 2003, 2004, if everything was going on, I was super interested in it. Um, especially like international relations, like all the backstories behind how, how countries work, the inner dealings, like what you always see on the news isn't always the real reason behind things and all that stuff. It just really interests me. Interesting. So then kind of stemming from military into, you know, the police, <clears throat> into law enforcement, right? Why not go down the route of poli-sci and or counterterrorism? Exactly. Dude, that was kind of my thought. Like, hey, this is probably one of the couple routes I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, and to be completely honest, like it's one of the, it's one of the routes that got me done the quickest because I had lost some credits. <laughs> I'm transferring schools. Fair. Um, so I was like, hey, dude, like I, I have all my prereqs out of the way. What are the things that transfer over the most? And what are the ways that I can get done? I um, mean, I had really thought um, um, like federal agencies too, like FBI had really interested me. Um, and so I was like, okay, I got to finish my degree. Like that was a, that was a deal I had always, always told myself too. I would get my degree and, and finish it because that was the the thing to do 20 years ago, man, like you had to have a college degree, right? Like that was, that was kind of the, the expectation, I guess, or at least it was in, in, in my family, um, at, or at, at that time. So yeah, that was kind of the course that, that provided the, um, the most congruence with what I thought I would end up doing. And, um, also the path of least resistance. Fair, fair. I like it. <clears throat> um, all right. So then as you, moved away from the military aspect and started doing these ride-alongs with Phoenix. I mean, what was it about law enforcement that got you excited and kind of felt like home more or less? Um, gosh, man, that's a great question. I think for me, like I had just never, uh, dude, I just never liked bullies, man. Like that was one of, that's one big thing that I've always kind of like been, been on my head, like growing up, like, um, Dude, I was a little freaking chunky kid growing up and um, had had my fair share of like kids messing with me or whatever. And um, as I got into high school, like I grew quite a bit, started playing ball, um, put on a lot of weight, um, a good weight, got in better shape. Um, and I think that had just kind of always, always stuck with me and just, and dude, it just sounded fun, man. Like you get a freaking cop car with lights and sirens, you get to go out in the middle of the night, um, find people doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and um, protect people and, 
yeah, dude, I just, it just sounded like a, a, a good option right after, um, some stuff in, in my, in my, my plans hadn't worked out. So, yeah. So I can imagine being a cop in a massive city being pretty intense. You know, I definitely have an understanding of what law enforcement is and does not in a large city and kind of what day-to-day life looks like for somebody that might be interested in it and maybe relating to you right now. What, I guess we'll just start with, you know, what did a day in the life look like for you? Maybe on both extremes, the boring the average and like an extreme day. Yeah, dude. So I would say, um, it is man like Phoenix, big city, right? The fifth biggest city in the country. So we are, we're busy. And I went to, um, probably the busiest precinct out of the, out of the bat at that time is our, uh, like Southwest, West side of Phoenix called Maryvale. Um, so like a normal day, man, I was, I started out on third shift. So I was working 9 PM to 7 AM, um, going in it's at, like at busy season. Yeah. It's super busy, man. Like we'd hit and I, and on my days off were Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. So like my Monday is Friday night, like things are busy, things are cranking off. Uh, you, you get out of, you, you get out of briefing if you have one, if you even have a briefing because stuff's so busy and you get out there and there's a stack of calls, like 20 calls deep that are holding. And you're like, Oh man, here we go. Dude, there's a, there's a burglary call, a, a residential burglary call that's been holding for, for six hours because it's a lower priority and other stuff is just coming out, man, like shooting, stabbings arm robberies, like, um, active alarm calls, like all this stuff is going on. So it's just, those were crazy days, man, crazy times, but I was with a bunch of, um, guys and girls that were pretty similar to me, like similar ages. And it, dude, it was a blast. Like, I think that's probably some of the most fun I've had as a cop minus like sleep. I could not sleep during the day. I had a really, really hard time with that. (laughs) Um, but dude, it was just, it was a blast, man. And then you have days, you have a day, maybe like a Sunday or a Monday night, like our last two nights, where things would get quiet and usually you're just you're trying to catch up from the week man you're just you're you're thankful that you have a little bit of quiet time to catch up on some paperwork or some other stuff to rearrange some of your gear that has just been thrown all over for the last three or four days and, and trying to figure things out <laughs> so what was maybe the most rewarding thing for you I do. So for me, I'd say the, uh, the, one of the most rewarding things was just like the interactions with people. Like I think um, over the past couple of years, man, we see, we see a different side presented a lot about, about law enforcement and stuff like that. And, and there's definitely, there's definitely bad stuff that happens that just like in every career, dude. Um, but I think just the day-to-day interactions, like you, you don't know what impact that had or like what ripple effect, man. Like I remember constantly, like, um, especially, um, in those times, man, just having conversations with some younger kids and just, um, treating them with respect, dude. Like I, I think a lot of people don't realize or not empathetic to other situations. Right. So like you're responding to a call, um, this dude's freaking some kids shoplifting something, right. You have a couple options there as a cop, like, Hey, is this kid like a, is this kid a career criminal? That's like hardened, like going to tell you to freaking go pound sand and, hates cops or is this a kid that's like dude like he has no direction at home um if he even has a home like he's been tossed around he's had like not an awesome upbringing not that these are excuses i'm just trying to like have some empathy for some people and he's just like dude like this is this is a way for him to either get attention or to literally get something he needs right so i think having that option on those interactions to 
um, to see people kind of in their worst and be able to, to talk to them and, and relate with them. I think that was always super rewarding for me, man. And you'd have the kids that would have nothing to do with it. Right. They didn't want to hear a thing from you, but then you'd also have kids that like you start talking to them about their family life or like, Hey dude, what's going on, man. And they just start freaking bawling. Yeah. Right. And you hear these stories and you're like, gosh, dude, you know, and then they, they express to you like, Hey man, like no one's asked me these questions in my life ever. Like, um, so I think those, those, those things always freaking really, uh, really were rewarding to me. Was, is being empathetic. And I'm trying to think of how I want to ask this question or exactly what it is I'm trying to ask, but was being empathetic towards those kids and likely people in general, something that you had to kind of learn or was that something that you would step into a situation and could kind of just pick up on based off of body language situation? I mean, was it a learned skill or a known skill for you? No, I would say it was definitely a learned skill, man. Um, I think, um, and as I get older, like definitely even more of a learned skill, I think you, you come to appreciate that stuff a little bit more. Um, and at the time, dude, I, and I would say like when I was, when I was first on that, I probably didn't have, um, a ton of that. Right. Like, I think it was, you're just out, dude, you're out of the gate, you're running a bunch of calls. Like you're going from, from an armed robbery to a shooting call to a stabbing call. And now you got to go deal with some like silly shoplifter that's, that's going on. Like you, you, as a, as a 22 year old dude, like you probably don't have a ton of patience for that as, as is. I thought I, of course, like everyone thinks they did, they did okay at the time. Right. Um, but it was definitely a learned skill, man. Like something that you, you had to learn about and you'd have some older officers talk to you about it. You'd have some that were very much like, Hey, dude, no, man, that's a crime. This is what we have to do. This is like, like you have to, you have to do this. And then you have some others that you that would talk and be like, Hey man, like, um, not everyone has an awesome home life. Not everyone has an awesome upbringing. Um, not everyone has been, been taught like how to properly behave in a society. Right. Um, and I think learning that and being able to apply that as, as an officer is, is huge, man. Like not only for your own mental sanity, just, but to, to help the people that need help. Yeah. So then that's kind of two different, like the dichotomy is a little bit different, right? Where you've got people that are black and white versus the gray. Ooh microphone how did you kind of develop your own tact for handling those situations um dude so just from experience i think just like call volume and 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 understanding people's body language and how they were and you could tell if if dudes um or, or people that you're interacting with like if they really had a dislike for you like you and you knew you weren't going to get through them like you could tell you could tell that i think fairly early um in the majority of situations where some you would, you would be able to see like, Hey man, like this, I know he's putting on this front a little bit, but I think there's, I think there's something under there that I can try to, I can try to like pull out of him. I think I can try to maybe talk and maybe there's um, a lesson to be learned either on my end or his um, from this interaction. Fair. Fair. Okay. So then as part of your career path, right, I know that there's several different routes that you can take. Did you kind of go into law enforcement wanting to just work the beat the whole time? Or what did you want to go detective SWAT narcotics? I mean, how did you kind of navigate and where did you end up deciding to go? Yeah, man. So like, I've always been into um, hunting and shooting, um, stuff like that. And um, I like competition, the brotherhood. I think that's, that came from, from sports too. Um, so I knew, um, and especially doing some of those ride-alongs, like, uh, while I was in, in college, 
I knew I wanted to go to like a, a tactical route, like onto a SWAT team. Um, so that like, that was my whole goal in getting hired was to go there as, as quick as I could. So that was, yeah, that was definitely a, a known plan for me. Okay. So what did that, I mean, as much as you can tell, cause I imagine there's probably some stuff that's not shareable. What did that look like and how did you kind of navigate both getting there and then also the mental and physical preparation? Yeah, man. So we had, um, uh, so Phoenix doesn't call it SWAT, right? We call it the special assignments unit. Um, SAU is what, what it's called here. Um, and they had at the time, man, I, I was young, right? So I think at the time that I tested, I think the, the majority of guys that were making it over to, to SWAT, to SAU probably had eight to 12 years on. And you can test once you have three on the department. Okay. Um, so that's right. I, I had just hit my three-year mark when I took my test. And as far as preparation, man, um, I shot, I took some outside training. Um, I've always been a huge proponent of that. I've never been the guy that's like, Hey, the, the police firearms instructors are going to teach me everything I need to know. Um, just cause I'd, I, I, I'd, I'd watch, right. I'd like, I'd watch, um, guys like Rob Latham or, or Jerry Barnhart or, um, Benny Cooley shoot. And I'm like, those guys shoot way better than the dudes at my academy. <laughs> like, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. Um, so I would, I would take some outside training and take those classes. So that was one of the, one of the ways of prepared. And then fitness has always kind of been a thing for me um, um, from athletics and stuff like that. So that was, that was an easy part. Like there were test specific things that um, I knew was going to be on like our, our physical fitness test, the standards for the team that I had to, I had to work on, but other than that, um, that was kind of it. And then I just had to know, I knew going into it, like I was battling seniority, right. Cause you, there's, there's points awarded for seniority. So I'm getting, uh, you get a point per year. So I'm getting a, a whopping one and a half out of 10 points. So I know that I'm, I'm down eight and a half. So I could not, I could not afford to lose stuff in other areas. So I think I just, just knew those things going into it. Um, and, and just told myself like, Hey man, wh like, why not me? Why not now? Someone's going to get a spot. So like, why can't it be me? Yeah. Yeah. Did, so you mentioned competition and shooting. Did you, did you shoot competitively? Um, I did as a, like, not before I was a cop, but like, um, a, as a cop, I did okay. a little bit. Yeah. So this is one question that is always kind of interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you, uh, do you feel like shooting competitively helps you, uh, in your job? hundred percent. Yeah. I think, if people are, yeah, I think if people say it doesn't like, I, they're just, they're so disconnected. Like, um, anyone that can teach you how to put rounds on target where you want faster, um, is, is the way to go, dude. Like why, why would you not listen to that? Like, and I think a lot of people can't separate the whole like tactics part of it. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's just not, not an issue. Like if you, if you can't separate that yourself as a, as a tactician or as a cop or as a military guy or whatever. Um, if you can't accept the fact that like, Hey, this person knows more about this skill, like this specific skill set, like, Hey, I'm going to draw my pistol and I'm going to shoot, um, a bill's drill. Right. And I'm going to, and I'm going to do it as fast as I can. Um, if that person performs it better than you, it doesn't matter if he's a cop or not, you should probably ask him how he does it. Right. Like if I want to, if I want, if I want to get, um, in better shape, I'm not going to find cop a cop specifically that's in good shape and only ask him, right. I'm going to find someone that's in good shape and that does it for a life, uh, for, for their job and ask them what they're doing. Like 
So it makes no sense to kind of change that, that philosophy and pick and choose. So yeah, I think for me, a hundred percent, man, like competition shooting will, will, will increase your, your abilities on the street a hundred percent. Yeah. Did you do a lot of USPSA then I'm assuming? Yeah. USPSA, some, um, like Ipsic style stuff. Yep. Um, a lot of steel matches, uh, out at, um, out here out at Rio Salado out in the East Valley has a ton of matches. Like I'd, I'd shoot there, like any chance we, we would get, like I would, I would try to go out there uh, almost like if not every week, once a week and shoot a match. Yeah. That's actually off topic. There's a range that's down the road that I need to go. Maybe that's what I'll do this afternoon. Cause I want to go get, get back into it. But, um, one thing you'd mentioned, um, a little bit about was kind of the, and this is something that's important to me kind of as the podcast itself has progressed and kind of as I've grown up is the mental health side of stuff. Yeah. So kind of in your world, right. You'd mentioned going from, you know, shooting, stabbing burglary to dealing with a shoplifting kid. Right. I can, I can't even imagine kind of what sort of mental toll a that takes, but let alone some of the stuff that you've seen, how have you kind of navigated that handled that and struggled with it? in a way that maybe, you know, has been helpful, harmful that we can maybe share for others. Yeah, man. So I think, um, early on, like you don't pay much attention to it. I don't think like stuff will bug you. Um, and it becomes the norm. Like you see so much freaking like horrendous stuff, or at least I did. I feel like, um, like, dude, I remember one of my first calls on FTO, uh, literally like my first week we go to this, this it's a hot call, Friday one call, right? Like get there right now. Bad stuff's happening. A stabbing call. And we show up at this, um, at a trailer park and a guy, there's a, a, a lady on the ground that's been stabbed. She's obviously, um, not dying. And there's a guy outside. Um, we, we knew we ended up knowing that they were husband and wife. Um, and he is stabbing himself. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, dude, this is freaking intense. Like, this is crazy. But as, as a, as a brand new person, like you don't, you think of it and you're like, Whoa, um, this is nuts. Um, but I don't think you understand like how it hits you. Okay. If that makes sense initially. Yep. Um, and then, so you go through a lot of this years and years and years and you see different things like, um, drownings, child abuse cases, um, the amount of shootings, like you'd go on where there's, there's someone in the street that's dead. Like, um, and that was just a normal thing, right? Like that was just, it, it was normal. The majority of police departments like don't really look at that stuff. If you use force, um, then, then they'll look into like some mental health stuff and a lot are getting better about it. But for that stuff, like it's usually not, it's not really, there's no protocol for it or there wasn't at my department at the time. So I think for me, like, um, dude, like I would always, I would always talk with, I had, um, my wife, man. And like, we're, um, I'm, I'm super blessed dude to have her because she is a, an awesome woman that I've always been able to just be an open book with. And like, I could talk to her and I could tell her stuff, man. Like I could tell her, Hey, like I saw this, this was shitty. This bugged me. And I wouldn't go into details um, a lot of times, but like, I always had someone to, to talk to kind of. Um, but I think later on in my career, I think it starts to, it starts to add up, right? Like that kind of cumulative effect of, of just seeing constant, um, bad stuff or being constantly in bad stuff or having adrenaline spikes, right. Getting shot at, um, um, getting into shootings. Um, like that's just not a normal thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that cumulative effect, I think started to bother me a little bit. Um, and I actually ended up going to, to a counselor, man, and, 
and just talking to like a, an outside removed third party. Um, and I was super mixed on it because I think um, it's so hard, dude. And I don't, I don't want this to sound, to sound shitty, but I think sometimes like the whole um, like PTSD is a hundred percent real, but I think sometimes um, we, we try to look for problems that maybe aren't there because we, not because we talk about it too much, just because it's, because it is so prevalent. Right. So I think you have sometimes conversations and like guys got to understand too, like if it doesn't bother you, it doesn't bother you. That's cool. But you got to be honest with yourself about it. Like, don't just say it doesn't bother you because you don't want to sound because you want to sound tough. Like, but if it doesn't bother you, like, that's totally fine. Like, don't think you have to have something wrong. Right. Like, don't think you have to go talk to someone just because um, that's what other people do. Like if, if stuff bothers you, like get yourself help and fix it. Um, so that's what I did, man. Like I had, um, we had a, a hostage uh, rescue scenario that, that uh, went pretty shitty. Um, and um, some, we had a couple, a couple kids were involved. Um, I had a teammate get shot. Um, dude, and it was a mess, man. And that, that incident bugged me pretty bad. And I think finally, like um, just being aware of it and finally understanding like, Hey dude, like, you're sleeping way less. Uh, my wife was super honest with me. Um, hey, do you like, you're way more irritable than you usually are. Um, so I just, I reached out and went and talked to somebody and I kept that up for a couple of years, even when I was continuing to, to be a cop and probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Okay. So <clears throat> like I said, this is kind of the vein of things that I like really do. I'm very interested in. So yeah. maybe to go back to your wife and being an open book to her. So this is one thing that like I've talked to several folks about, <clears throat> how did you kind of set, I want to say, I want to say set the standard for being an open book with your wife in a way that was helpful for you and not harmful for her too. Yeah, dude. So that's the hard part, right? Is trying to figure out like what to tell her uh, without putting like all these horrible images in her head or making her worry more. Um, so for me, it was, it was, it was just enough, man. Like I think, and it was kind of a trial and error. Like I know that there would be some times when I'd get off shift and I'd come home and I'd start telling a story and I could see like a change in her face and I'd be like, okay, that's probably too much. Right. Um, and then there's other times when I would tell a story and she would be like, okay, like what else? Like what, like what made it so bad? Like what, like she would ask questions and having that interaction. So I think again, like reading her body language, understanding that, um, but then also trying not to be a burden for her, right? Like, I don't want to come to her and talk about, um, the child abuse case where I just freaking I, I went to, and I, I saw a three-year-old beaten so bad that it's like, it, it was horrible. Like, I don't, I don't want to put those thoughts in her head, but also letting her know, I think letting your, your significant other or people that you care about know that those things are stuff that you see and that you go through is super important, man, because I think they have to, they have to understand what's happening. And I think that's what doesn't happen a lot of time is like people won't understand what you're going through and um, can't be empathetic, can't be sympathetic because you don't want to talk about it. So then you're just irritable. Then you're just pissy. Then you're just upset at the world and people don't understand why. And for a while, I think that'll be okay. But after a little bit, like it's not going to fly anymore, right? Like you have to choose to, to make a change. 
So that's a good point, right? Being helping them be empathetic towards you, not oversharing. And I like that, the trial and the trial and error aspect of it. Because to your point earlier with the hostage situation and that end up ended up being a situation, a particular situation that bugged you. How receptive were you? And and I'm trying to think again, right? These are all kind of hard questions to ask, right? Is going to I feel like going to a therapist or a counselor initially is very difficult right it's very hard to kind of just accept hey I need to go talk or hey I have a problem because I feel like dudes in general and I know that guys in law enforcement particularly right don't want to go do it because they think they can handle their own shit which is not bad but also not good right um how how did she help you kind of get to the point of recognizing hey I'm having some issues or how did you recognize changes in yourself that lent to getting help? Um, it, my wife, you're, is that what you're asking? Yeah, a little or bit you, of both, right? So how okay. did she help you? And how did you get to the point where you recognized a change in yourself? Um, dude, so I know uh, sleep was a, a big thing for me. Sleep and just thoughts, man. Like I could not get um, scenarios, outcomes, images out of my head. Um, and that had happened uh, a few times before, but for not, not for the same length of period. Or, or length of time. So I just, I knew like, Hey, something's funky here, dude. Like this is, this is bothering me. Um, this is bothering me a little more than, than other things have. And, and why, like, I need to figure out why. Um, and then uh, do you like, she's just super open with me. My wife is, and we have a very like, um, communicate very well. Like we're very open with each other. Um, like one of our, our, our big things with each other is like, no matter what happens, like we don't have bad intentions for each other. So if she comes to me and tells me something, even if I don't like hearing it, right. Like she comes to me and says, Hey, like you're being really short. Like you're not fun to be around right now. Like you've been really, (laughs) you've been pissy or you've been angry or you've been, um, just grumpy like the past week. Like, what's the deal? Like, I know that her intentions aren't bad with those questions, even though it may piss me off. Right. And be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, I know that her intentions aren't bad. So when she started coming to me and just saying like, Hey, like I can tell, like you're a little short with the kids. Um, you don't want to do stuff. Um, you're just different. Like something's off and her telling me that. And then also like when I'm, when I'm real with myself, asking me that same question, knowing that that's true. Like, Hey, she's, she's telling me what I'm feeling, right? Like she's verifying my, my own thoughts and feelings. Like it's time to freaking look into this a little bit more and see, And like you said, man, like cops are not great about this, dude. Like it is, um, I think the military side of things are, are, are way ahead of the game. And as far as the, the PTS or, or dealing with stuff or, or being aware of it, um, and cops, it's getting, it's getting better. Um, but it's just not, it's not looked at the same, I guess yet or, or whatnot. So I didn't really know, um, people that had done it. Right. So like we had a, we had a full-time team. Um, at this point I had been on our team for probably, um, 10 years, I would say. Um, and I really didn't know anyone that had done this. So I'm like, dude, this is kind of awkward. Like everyone else is just dealing with their shit and fine. Like, why are you being a pussy, Justin? Like what's going on? <laughs> um, why can't you just deal with your stuff? Um, but I think once she confirmed it, um, for me and my thoughts and, for me, like just something with priorities, dude, like, um, I love being a cop. I loved it. But like, I'm a, I am a husband and father first, like that, that is where I, my priorities lie. So I'm going to make the best decision to keep my marriage right and 
be a good dad and that's going to supersede anything that has to do with being a cop. Um, and so like, I always try to go back to that on decision-making like, Hey, I can not go see someone and probably be fine as a cop, but I'm going to be hurting these areas of my life mm. where I can go see someone and it's probably going to help these areas of my life. And maybe I'll get some shit at it for work, but it's not going to make me worse of a cop. Um, so like outcomes, um, seem to make sense. Okay. Okay. So maybe before we get into mill Mac and knife making kind of throughout the whole kind of growing up period into law enforcement through law enforcement, is there anything that you're like, man, I don't feel like I share this a whole lot, or this is super important. This is one of my favorite questions, right? That's super important that I wish I would have known going into all of it. Um, for law enforcement specific or just like life, early stages of life? Uh, both. Let's do both. Okay. Um, dude, so early stages of life would just be like um, having, having realistic expectations of yourself, not like goals, dreams, like, Hey, I want to, I want to do this thing, or I want to, I want to be a SWAT cop. I want to go in the military. I want to play pro football, like dream away, man. Like, um, but having realistic expectations of yourself as far as what you can and can't handle and what you will and won't do. I think those are the biggest things, man. Like you cannot, you can't expect perfection out of yourself. For me, that was something I dealt with a, a lot, a lot. Um, like if I had messed up um, little man, like say at a football game and I, I, I dropped a pass or um, something happened, like, dude, I would, that would eat me up for weeks. Like it would eat me up for the next game. Right. Um, as a cop, like something um, at the end of a scenario or at the end of a, end of a job, end of a call, like, Hey, should I, I should have done this. Like that would have been a better decision knowing what I know now. And then I would beat myself up over that. Um, so having like being able to manage like self expectations, I think, I think is really, really big in, in all aspects of things. And then do just like, I think the biggest thing, um, like just be freaking nice to yourself, dude. Like your inner talk and your self dialogue is so, so important. And I know that now more than ever, just from having kids and, and some of the, the trainings and stuff that I, that I get into, like I nerd out on some of that stuff um, and understanding how that affects you, man. Like if you constantly tell yourself like just little stuff, like, dude, like you did something wrong and you're like, gosh, I, I suck, man. Shit. You know, but you say that to yourself like 20 times a day, like you're going to start believing that shit. Yeah. And, and it's not good. So like, it sounds nerdy and, and it's not everyone's freaking cup of tea, but like, I'm into that stuff. I believe it. Like, I think what you, what you feed yourself is going to, is going to grow and, and be on top of that, man, from, from as early as you can start, dude. Like uh, one of my favorite phrases is like the best, the, the best day to plant a tree was yesterday. Right. Like, so get on it now and, and understand that that's not going to, that, that those things are going to help you out. So. Okay. Okay. Well, as we start talking about Milmac, I mean, how did, how did knives, and knife making and mill mat come about. Yeah, dude. So it kind of was all, um, kind of all started from the same thing, man. Like I used to, I used to weld a bunch. I used to build like Baja bumpers and roll cages and stuff like that. And then obviously, um, end up becoming a cop, like have kids, like, um, can't have like a big tube bender out in my driveway for the HOA anymore. Um, and dude, I was on, I remember like I was on patrol and I wanted a strider knife. Like I wanted an, a, an old like strider. And that thing was like, I want to say like 500 bucks. I'm like, dude, I can't spend that, man. I'm making like, 
18 bucks an hour. Like I can't, I can't spend $500 on a knife. You're crazy. Um, so I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can make one of these. So, uh, just kind of started. And it was also just a way for me to decompress, man. Like I've always been somewhat like artsy, artistic, creative. Like I like doing that stuff. So I'm like, God, oh, dude, I'll grab some, some pieces of steel and, and start filing away. Um, had a hacksaw, just like old hat, like literally hand hacksaw that I'd cut out a couple shapes with and use some files and made a jig and, and kind of started from there. And, um, first ones weren't very awesome looking and uh, started doing it more and more and saved up some money to, to buy a grinder and started making some knives and giving them away and guys liked them. And there it went. So it started with wanting a strut. Do you have a strider knife now? I do. Do you? <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah. Good. So did you, uh, that's kind of funny. So did you just start with like tool steel, like picking up old files and wrenches and stuff? And I mean, did you just start grinding them down? Did you start heating them up, forging them out or just? Yeah, I do. So I experimented a little with both. Like I didn't have a forge obviously. So um, I, I kind of just started with stock removal. Um, the first knife I made was, um, used to be on like an old knife, a knife forum and a, an old bladesmith was like nice enough to send me a piece of uh, 1084, just like a little, like one and a half inch by seven inch piece. And he's like, Hey dude, I, I, I saw something you posted. Like here's a shipping, ship, shipping address and here's a piece to mess with. And, um, so just kind of started doing that, had some old bandsaw stuff. And I remember like when I was, when I was younger, um, uh, one of my uncles that I, I hunted with a lot, um, my dad passed away when I was like 10, but we would go hunting with my dad and my, my uncle Jim, um, like super handy with stuff, man, like lived up in, uh, like the white mountains in Arizona, um, had a huge shop. Like I remember when I was young, like making a knife out of a bandsaw with him. Um, and another, another uncle, um, had helped me make one out of a file. So it was just kind of, it was interesting. Cause I'd never put those two, two things together. And then, um, uh, yeah, I just started, just started doing, doing those things and experimenting, got into forging a little bit. Um, but again, like working third shift, um, I get off at seven in the morning, come home. Wasn't an awesome time to like get an anvil out. Anvils were expensive, man. Like I think I started with like a piece of railroad yeah, um, and track. And that was like the first thing I used to, tr to try forging. And I bought like a little tiny, tiny coffee can forge. And just kind of went from there and then just kind of started getting into stock removal more, more and more. Yeah. It's funny. My dad actually bought a, uh, an anvil and a forge as well. And I've tried some of the knife making, but it's not, I think I, I don't think I ever tried with tool steel. Um, he did have a bunch of like files and stuff that you could have easily just done the stock removal on, sharpened it up and polished it yeah. and made it look all, you know, sexy and whatnot. But I tried once with a railroad spike. Those, those are hard. Like yeah. I like I have massive respect for guys that can like hammer that down into something flat. Dude, like true bladesmiths are crazy, man. Like, um, like dude, like um Ed Caffrey's one that I used to follow a ton. Like he did some awesome, awesome stuff. Um obviously Josh Smith is huge now with Montana Knife Company, um and like his production stuff, but his like handmade stuff, like dude, like that that's that's an art in itself dude like that's that's crazy respect i actually um i did just join the american bladesmith society is like did my initial membership because i want to get back into like trying to forge and learning that stuff a little bit yeah just for something different i think like just to keep it uh keep it fresh man you can only 
you can only machine and, and cut out so many knives before it starts becoming just too much of a work and you forgot why you got into it in the first place, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Because what's your process now? I mean, are you, or is it all like, I guess, are you, you're cutting out a shape and then are you doing stock removal and then sharpening? Is that kind of what your process is now? Yeah. Um, do you, so, so somewhat, right. So I have a production line that's built, um, by Dauntless Manufacturing that's in North Carolina that does like my models, but production style. And then I actually end up, I bought a CNC machine here. Nice. So I do machine some of my own knives now. Um, but I will use at, at this point, like everything is pretty much water jet. I'll do a few like one-off customs if I'm trying to do a different shape or something like that, but I'll get a water jetted, a water jetted blank out. Um, I will grind that. I'll drill the holes. I'll heat treat it. I'll put handles on, um, complete the finishing process, sharpen it up, make sheaths. I do a, a ton of that stuff like all in house. And I don't have at this point, no employees. Like I need, I need one. Um, so if anybody's listening is in the Phoenix area and wants to learn how to make knives, hit me up. But, um, yeah, it's that, that's the process for, for mostly for stock removal. Yeah. Okay. So how did you learn all of this? I mean, I know that you mentioned doing some of it growing up with like as a kid and everything, and you just, I don't, did you say that you just joined or rejoined the Bladesmith Society? I mean, did you go to any classes and schools or was it all YouTube university? Dude. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of YouTube university. Um, and I, yeah, I just joined, I had never been a member like okay. of ABS before. Um, but I'm like, ah, oh, dude, it's something I'll try out. Why not? Um, see, see what I can change. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of videos, um, a lot of like internet forums, man, like right back back before like YouTube and everything was huge, right? Like you have all the little, all the little forms that you could go post on and uh, blade forms was one. I was always on there asking questions of guys. I was lucky enough. There was a guy, I mean, he was a retired firefighter that um, was in the Phoenix area that had me over to his shop a couple of times and kind of helped me out and, and, and showed me some things. But other than that, just trial and error, man, like just figuring out how to grind, um, grind a knife out and, not catch my my garage on fire since it's there it was not a separate shop at that time and <laughs> having metal dust and handle dust all over my wife's car and yeah just just lots and lots of repetition fair fair so then what kind of knives or i guess what uh what kind of knives are you cranking out now for people that maybe haven't come across you yet and uh what's the demographic you're trying to get your knives uh into their hands yeah. So for Milmac, Milmac is primarily like, um, self-defense tactical type tactical knives, I guess, if you would say, but like, like weapon knives, right? Like that's primarily what we, what we started at and specialize it in. I, I started just gearing towards cops and military, but there's a huge uh, other group of guys that like carrying blades for self-defense. Um, and so that's, I would say that's the, the primary demographic for, for Milmac. Um, and I'm just starting up um, some other stuff, I'm not just starting, I've been doing it for, for a little bit, but kind of separating out some of the hunting and, and fishing and just like general, like bushcraft outdoor stuff. Um, and that's, um, that, that'll be kind of like officially launching here in about a month. And that's, um, that'll be called uh, copper state, um, knife company. And we'll kind of gear those, those specs, those models towards that. Nice. Taking a note, Copper State Knife Company. You're going to have, is it going to be part of the Milmac uh, website or new website? People were like, I need a new knife. Cause yeah, it'll be, it'll be a new website. It'll be uh, completely separate. Um, like obviously, yeah, part of the same company, but just a completely separate line um, knife. So, um, 
surprisingly or not, there's not a lot of there. There's some people that aren't into weapons as knives, <laughs> uh, knives as weapons, but love them for like hunting and fishing. Um, so I think it's a it's a good it'll be a good little switch for some yeah. stuff. That's cool. So do you already have like designs and everything? Is are they all fixed blades? You'd go in for fillet knives, folders, whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, um, I'm working on a folder, nice. um, just like a little friction folder. Like I've always loved, like um, kind of like gentleman's folders. Like not like not as a self defense tool, not as a tactical type knife, but just yeah. like hey, man, I need to take this out and open up a box, or I need to take this out and do these little tasks with it. So I'm working on a friction folder right now. Um, so I'm pretty pretty excited about that. Yeah. Friction folders are cool. I've never owned one. Yeah. I don't think I've, I've never owned one, but I've seen a lot of videos and they're neat. Like, I don't know. I, I agree. There's something about them that you're like, you feel a little swanky when you like, when yeah, you look at it, like the concept of them. That's exactly, awesome. man. That's what I, I think I love about them. Cause they're so old. Like that's that design, that type is super old, but it's like, you can do some nice Macarta handles, man. Like make it look very like, just, just cool. Yeah. So I'm excited oh, yeah. To, to do that. I agree. Are you going to do, are you going to forge those? I mean, like, this is like totally random, but like I, whenever I see pictures and videos of them, you see people do like their cool, like Damascus, like cleaver style that are like, you know, the little one inch blade. And you're like, that serves no purpose other than like a box and like just to be cool. Yeah. Um, no, I probably like, if I do forge stuff, it'll probably just be like teaching myself how to do it really. Like I'm not, I'm not good enough to, to forge knives out and sell them right now. Like I don't, I, 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 I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like super comfortable with that yet. Yeah. Um, so it'll be um, copper staple will be pretty much like all, all production style knives. Very cool. Very cool. Well, shoot, man. I know we've talked about kind of a hodgepodge of stuff and I do want to be respectful of your time, but I do know that you'd mentioned that you do a couple other things. So you've got, like you said, um, copper state coming up online. You do some coaching and everything as well. I don't know if you want to cover some of that or, uh, you know, what other things you feel are, uh, are kind of top of mind or feel like are important to talk about this morning. No, man. Yeah. Thanks for the, the option to do it. Um, yeah, I do. So that's something I'm going to be starting out, um, here also in about a next, in the next month or so, um, is a actual like coaching mentoring program. Like that's something I feel like super passionate about, um, like talking about what you talked about. Um, and we're asking questions about earlier, just like relaying those life lessons that I've learned and, um, the trials and tribulations that I've gone through and how to help people, um, just with their learning curve, man, help, help guys, um, understand that like stuff they go through is, is, is not unique to them. Like it is, and it's not right. Like there's plenty of dudes that are in similar situations that have similar mindsets that have to go through those same scenarios and having a place or a forum that they can come to and they can speak and that they can interact with guys that are similar, I think is huge. And I think being able to have some guidance in that, um, to help other dudes, like, dude, cops are notorious for like working overtime, man. Like, and I got a lot of shit because I did not work a lot of overtime because I was focused on Milmac, right? Like building my own brand, building my own business and helping other guys that want to do that same thing coming from that line of work. Like I'm super passionate about that. Like, Hey, you have an idea and you want to start it up. Like, here's some steps that I've learned for the past, I don't know, um, seven, eight years of actually running Milmac as a business that like can help you, right? Here's some things that I didn't do right. Some things I still don't do right some things I'm working on, but like, dude, there's, there's tons of info and knowledge out there. And I think just being able to have a, to be a resource for people to go and, and kind of help with all that. I think, I think would be huge. Yeah. 
Is that going to fall under the Millback umbrella as well? Yeah. It will. Yeah. Okay. So folks want to check out your knives, all your work, maybe uh, subscribe for your um, coaching. Where are they going to find you? Um, yeah. So uh, on Instagram, it's just at Millmac AZ, M-I-L-M-A-K-A-Z, and then at Millmac Blades. Um, and then my website for the blades is um, millmacaz.com also. So you can find out info there and check some stuff out. And then always just feel free to shoot me a message, man. Like I, I love having conversations like this, Austin. Like it's, it's, it's I truly enjoy it. Just sitting down and talking to dudes about, about stuff and, and um, it's always fun. And I, I always learn a lot too. So it's good to, it's good to get asked some questions and, and actually have to think about what you believe in and relay that information. Right. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate it. Maybe one of my, one of my favorite questions is one, is there anything, um, you know, that maybe we haven't covered? Cause I feel like there's a lot of life left that we haven't talked about that. You're like, man, I don't, I don't get asked about this a whole lot. That is very important to me or that I don't feel like I share a whole lot about that is, you know, relevant to kind of what we've discussed. Um, dudes. Yeah. So, and this is, this is just me speaking, right. This is, um, this may not be everyone's, everyone's bag, but like for me, like, uh, my faith, man, like I am, I'm new to it. Um, dude, me and my daughter got baptized together about a year ago. Um, but it is something that I have always kind of felt called for. I think I lost my dad when I was 10, right? Like I, um, unexpected out of nowhere, I ended up finding him. Um, and that shook me like pretty hard. And I didn't realize how hard that had kind of shook me until I was older. Um, and I think coming full circle and coming around and just understanding, like, maybe it's, maybe it's not faith for you, but finding a purpose that, cause I truly do think, man, like stuff happens for reasons. You just got to be willing to find it and you just got to be willing to look right. And trusting, trusting that the things are happening the way they're supposed to be happening. If you're doing your part, like you're out there being a, a, a shithead constantly and making horrible choices. Like stuff's happening for a reason. Um, and the reason is you're making bad choices constantly. Right. But I think we all go through those hardships and, and having that faith for me um, in God, knowing that I am, I am um, on the path that I'm, that I'm supposed to be on is, is, is comforting. Um, but also um, it's like a huge, it's a huge drive for me. Like, Hey dude, like where, where am I supposed to be at the end of this? Like, I, that's what I want to know. Like, what did, what did God have intended for me in my life? And like, what is the person that I'm supposed to become? And then try to be that person. I think that's like, that's huge for me. And I don't, I don't talk about it um, a ton, but I think um, for me, that's super personal and just very, uh, very important. Okay. Justin, once again, man, thanks for taking the time. Uh, for everybody listening, I hope you all took some good bit or uh, good tidbits of information away. I will link uh, both uh, Justin's uh, Instagram in the episode description as well as his website. But other than that, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and we will catch you next time. Okay.